Welcome to episode number 47, In Lucifer's Grasp. Now, I really don't like to talk about Lucifer and his tactics. There is nothing good about him or his area of expertise. He is truly the antithesis of everything we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ want to be. He lives in such a darkness, pain, and anguish that his only relief is anger, rage, and extending his misery to anyone or anything he can. He is, by his very nature, personality, and doctrine, the opposing force to happiness, light, and truth that governs the universe. Now, I have no intention of today of discussing the ugliness of his abilities or anything about him personally, except what might be revealed by his strategy to ensnare the saints of God, and of course, more especially those saints who deal with mental illness. Every person on this earth has obtained a fallen body, meaning that death, pain, suffering, Feelings outside of happiness and joy will be a consistent annoyance in our lives. The more we let Lucifer into our lives, the worse those feelings become and reinforce our misery until he has obtained his purposes. Lucifer is and always will be relentless in his pursuit of the destruction of life. Now, not in the sense of oblivion or cease to exist type of destruction, but the destruction that paralyzes the soul in never-ending darkness. We talk a great deal about darkness when we speak of Lucifer, but we really don't often define what we mean by it. Now, obviously, darkness in the physical sense represents the absence of light. But in this case, it is not the light we use to view physical objects. Darkness in this sense is to be shut out from the presence of God. In other words, darkness is restricting the light, revelation, knowledge we receive from our Father in Heaven. But darkness is more than a lack of knowledge. Lucifer has great knowledge. And in some ways, his knowledge is similar to the Lord's, in the sense of pure facts and figures and history. But, Lucifer, but what Lucifer lacks is what we refer to as emotional intelligence. He does not understand, but in a factual basis, what love, empathy, compassion, unselfishness, and a host of other intelligence attributes mean, and their power. That is because Lucifer has pure selfishness and cannot comprehend virtues associated with our Father in Heaven and Savior, and the power found in those attributes. He rules by fear, compulsion, domination, anger, and really a desire for power over spiritual intelligence. However, his desire for power is not in a true form of charity in that he desires to aid our development without, without reward. His desire to aid our development is only to serve his own desire to be recognized which is really one of the definitions of pride. Now, we do not know exactly how Lucifer came to be. We simply don't have the full story. Yeah, we have a few lines of text about him, but those lines do not really tell us anything about how he got to be where he is, just who he is, who he became. So I'm going to avoid my own prejudice about how this might have occurred and talk about what it means to us as members of the Lord's true church, and more especially members who deal with mental illness. I've discussed throughout the podcasts about how intertwined the mortal body and spirit are when it comes to emotional intelligence. I have noted that our mortal body chemistry is intricately attached to the spiritual chemistry, and how both mortal and spiritual systems of emotional and mental capacity and intelligence influence each other. Now, I have no doubt that most of you, if not all of you, have felt the strong influence of the spirit and also the powerful influences of the mortal body. Now, as we grow and develop our spiritual capacity to monitor, control, and bring into submission our mortal bodies and emotions and influences, 
our emotional intelligence should increase. Now, even if that increase is at times imperceptible, it is not an easy task for someone who is functioning normally to control the mortal emotions and desires such as hunger, sexual desire, pride, the desire to be recognized, revenge, being offended, and so many others. And when you place those same desires into a mortal system of chemistry that has been compromised by genetics, trauma, and other sources of mental illness, the task can become a burden almost too much to bear. Now, I found in my own illness that beyond the capacity to simply overcome the emotional distress of mental illness, Lucifer appears to have greater access to my thoughts, my feelings, emotions, and desires for good. Now, I say that he has greater access, and maybe that's a misnomer, as I am not sure that his access has really changed, but rather my ability to resist has been weakened. Now, this weakening of my mortal systems of emotional stability appears in every way to directly affect my spiritual stability and my ability to express, recall, feel, or even think about those emotional intelligence attributes of charity and compassion and empathy. It's almost as if I'm locked out of those emotions during my episodes. Now, that's the title of this episode, In Lucifer's Grasp. Now, I'm not saying that I am fully in Lucifer's purview to torture, demean, belittle, teach of his ways, and become a son of perdition, meaning that I really don't have any help from the Lord. But what I'm saying is that being locked out of those higher intelligence emotions has a tendency to feel like I am. Now, I will admit feeling the presence of Lucer far stronger during my episodes, but I doubt that he has really grown in strength. Rather, my defenses have been weakened. I am most certainly, like many of you, have felt this emotional paralysis as you have descended into the darkness of a depression or a bout of anxiety. Even those who suffer with bipolar and pass through the mania phase enter a type of paralysis where resistance to the world's enticements can feel almost impossible. So today I'm going to share with you what I have learned about my own illness and Lucifer's grasp. First things first, the voices in our head. We all have those voices in our head that tell us we should be doing what we should be doing. I call them voices, but it can be a picture, a feeling, even a voice, or really, it probably comes in a combination of those. Now, this is where thought begins to evolve into action. These voices, as I call them, are precursors to some type of action, whether or not the action even takes place. Now, they represent all of the feelings, thoughts, and anything that rises into our consciousness before we begin a process of determination. It is at that point when something enters into the conscious area of the mind and it becomes recognized. Now, once we take hold of the thought, we almost immediately begin a determination. Good or bad, wrong or right. How does the voice or thought make us feel when we think about acting on it or in future or in the future? We allow, allow it through the initial determination of good or bad or evil or whether or not we're going to act on it, it stay, or whether it stays or goes, then it can move into a more actionable face. Now, this doesn't mean that we necessarily act on it right away, although it can happen. It means that it's going to, that it is going to hopefully go through a more rigorous planning and evaluation as to its feasibility, the cost to us, the rewards to us, physical, material, emotional, or spiritual. Now, depending on our past experience, maturity, knowledge, and feelings, we will make a further determination as to whether we will pursue the action that arises from this initial determination. Now, I realize I have simplified that process, and it can and 
often is far more detailed, complex, and varied as to how things move forward or are discarded. But the pathway is important in that it requires knowledge, experience, understanding, and most importantly, emotional intelligence to evaluate process properly. The process also includes a couple of key elements of that emotion and desire. Whether we find the eventual action produced by the by voice good or evil worthy of pursuit will depend upon our emotional intelligence and motivation. In fact, besides the rational evaluation, motivation and emotional desire will be the force that brings it forth. In the church, we call this type of action faith. Faith is simply that motivational force inside of us that produces action in us. A specific kind of faith we know as faith in Jesus Christ is what motivates us to exaltation. But we can have faith in all kinds of things, including what might be called evil faith, which is the motivation to allow for evil actions. Without a faith or motivation, action does not occur in us. Our desires and motivations are often discussed as an emotional experience, meaning that our faith coupled with emotional intelligence is often is often referred to as a feeling or desire. Certainly science wants to reduce this desire to a simple chemistry and the inner workings of the mortal brain that we don't yet understand. But as members of the Church of Jesus Christ, we know that our motivation is really a combination of our mortal chemistry, our spiritual desires, and our experiences, both mortal and spiritual. Now, given that each of our personal experiences, both mortal and spiritual, are likely to have varied significantly, and that our learning from those experiences would differ, we all have a very unique personality and system of evaluation. Now, this will be true for everyone, including children in the same family. So while their earthly experiences might be fairly similar, we do not fully know what their spiritual experiences were and how that affects their decisions here on the earth. And that can be one of the explanations as to why children can be so different. Given that the process of evaluation in our minds and our motivation is dependent upon the intertwined nature of this mortal chemistry and our spiritual experience, one might expect significant problems if the balance of mortal chemistry is altered. So when the chemistry of the body is altered by mental illness, it significantly alters the system of evaluation and motivation as altering our mortal system of perception interferes with our spiritual system. When the mortal chemistry turns motivation and emotional intelligence negative, it affects every decision and every motivation or faith the body and the spirit assesses. What was once an easy decision to go to church now doesn't feel right because the mortal desire has been altered. But just because the mortal chemistry is altered doesn't mean that anything has really happened to the spiritual experience and motivation. So the problem I found becomes greater than simply negative physical motivation. My experience has been that the negative chemistry and motivation and the spiritual desire begin to interact with each other in detrimental ways. The spirit desiring that which is right and the negative chemistry not in alignment. And this can cause and often causes all kinds of distress and guilt. It is truly a condition where the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So my first helpful, let's call it a hint today, is to understand what is happening in the mind and body when someone experiences depression or anxiety. Not only is it a physical problem where the desire turns negative and it is lacking, 
but as a spiritual problem, where the spiritual side begins to seriously disagree with the mortal side of the body. It is the disagreement I have found between the powerful altered mortal state and the emotional intelligence of the spiritual state that is one of the major causes of such difficult and powerful darkness and unhappiness during mental illness episodes. Now, this is a simplified conversation that often plays out in my mind. Now, I've added voices and somewhat of a narrator to it, but often this is more about feelings than actual voices. Here we go. Uh, something doesn't feel right today. Is there something wrong? Did something bad happen? You know, and I, I really can't think of anything. Now, did you forget to do something? Now, my mind will wander through everything I was supposed to get done. I'm not sure. Maybe I forgot to lock the door or kiss my wife when I left. No, that isn't it. Then what's wrong? Back to more pondering and thinking. Did I read scriptures today? Forget to pray? Didn't pray sufficiently? You know, that must be it. Maybe I didn't really spend the time I needed to in prayer this morning. More thinking. No, that isn't it. Did you do something wrong? You would have had to sin to feel this way. That makes sense, but I really can't think of anything. Now, are you sure you repented correctly of that thing you did like three years ago? You know, I'm fairly sure I did. Then why do you feel like this? You must have done something wrong. You know, I really still can't pin anything down. Now, I think you should try harder to think about what you might have done. Now, certainly more pondering occurs about all my past issues now. Now, that one time might be the problem. More pondering, but really no answer as to what the problem really might be. Now, you must have done something wrong to feel this. Now, I agree, but nothing makes sense. Maybe you need to be more faithful, read scriptures more, go out with a missionary more, listen to general conferences more. Now, I suppose that might be the case, but I, I don't really feel like it. I feel terrible. I'm also starting to feel sick. Maybe that's it. Maybe you are sick. Maybe you should lay down when you get home. From there, for me, sleep cycles begin. And while my example might be short, not exactly what every person feels who suffers. For the most part, we go through somewhat similar experiences. We feel alone, lost, unable to reconcile, reconcile our change in motivation and faith, and the whole matter just causes more pain and stress. We sleep to avoid thinking about it. And when I couldn't sleep, then it was media consumption or anything to get my mind away from, from it. The true reality is that one's mind and body does not process depression, anxiety, and the many forms of mental illness well. The method of escape is going to vary from experience, culture, and custom, but without fail, almost every person finds their methods of escape. Now, this is the part where Lucifer seems to have his moment. Our faith and motivation are weakened by illness, and the negative chemistry produces feelings of worthlessness, sin, weakened emotional intelligence, and the opportunity for Lucifer to direct, directly affect our thoughts, desires, and faith. So what did I learn to do when all of this came about? I really wish that I had an easy solution for you. Do this and everything goes back to normal and Lucifer doesn't have access. And the answer is all of the things that really I have discussed throughout the podcast. The first thing is to recognize the illness for what it is and the effects it has on your emotions, desire, and actions. Meaning that at the first intimation of an episode, you are going to have to see the feelings and desires as the illness. 
Next, you're going to have to fight mentally to associate the negative feelings with the illness and not with you personally or your spirituality. Third, you're going to have to do your best to leave the past in the past and not dredge up some muddy, murky sin or error that you might have committed. I understand that inside there's great pressure to find the answer. That way, well, to find the answer, but even if you find something, it isn't going to solve the problem. Fourth, you're really going to need to help, meaning let someone know about it and get some professional help. Fifth, you're going to need to stick with that help, that treatment plan, even when things start to feel better. Now, sixth, understand that treat, the treatment plan is not likely to solve all of your issues and return you to normal, meaning you're going to have episodes, hopefully not as bad as you are likely to still feel some of the effects of the illness, even through the medication and treatment. You will need to adjust the management of the illness and find happiness in what you have. This doesn't mean that you just throw in the towel and say, well, it's never going to get any better than this. We should keep fighting, but there is a difference between continuing to fight to get better and setting your expectations so high that you're never going to get there, and then experiencing that disappointment and depression all over again. Seventh, do what you can to stay close to the Lord, even when you don't feel as though he is close to you. Now, this means reading the scriptures, praying regularly, even if you don't feel the words. Going to church, even going to the temple regularly. Eighth, understand the trial and what the Lord is trying to teach and expects. Now, learning to understand the trial will help you to understand the Lord and exaltation in a powerful way. I can't fully explain to you that powerful way, but it is unique to the illness. Nine, life's going to throw you to the wolves at times, and you're going to have to go into survival mode. Do not think that you have failed if this happens. And ten, just do your best and leave the rest to the Lord. He's far more merciful than you realize. Well, that's it for today. Keep up the fight, and the Lord will do his part.